We're in the middle of a series where we're thinking about the Israelites and their sojourn through the wilderness. And we're looking at the reason why there are heel marks in the sand. You've seen the thing, footprints in the sand. And what we find as we follow the writer of the book of Hebrews is that he pointing out why the spiritual resistance, why there's heel marks in the sand. The Bible provides us with an answer. And what it, it, it says is, oh, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that none, no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. And what it suggests is that they never really figured out how to enter God's rest. And that's the reason for the grumbling. And that's the reason for the resentment. And that's the reason for the hard-heartedness. They never figured out how to enter into God's rest. And so what the writer says, let's us make every effort to learn that so that we won't fall into the same example of disobedience. Conversely, Jesus learned how to enter into his Father's rest. And he spent his life there. Even in the middle of very difficult things, Jesus lived in the comfort of his Father's rest. This allowed him to be gentle and humble. Gentleness and humility are the fruit of rest. We see these qualities in the Last Supper. When we think of what the Last Supper is, Jesus pointed out what it is. The Last Supper is really a covenant celebration. A covenant is a treaty. And when one king makes a covenant with another king, they celebrate it with a banquet oftentimes. But this treaty, a treaty, a covenant is, is a treaty. And what Jesus says in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And he expressed the reason for the last supper. It was a time that he could inaugurate a new covenant. And we've looked at this before. At the time, there were a couple of different kinds of covenants. Um, you see, there's a suzerain vassal covenant and a divine grant. A suzerain vassal covenant has commitments, commandments, and consequences. It's when a stronger king comes into a treaty with a weaker king. So the stronger king is the suzerain and the weaker king is the vassal. So if, if this king is concerned that he might get attacked by another king, what he will do is he will appeal to a stronger king and they will make a treaty or a covenant. And the stronger king, again, is the suzerain. And what the suzerain will do is he makes commitments. He says, I will protect you. I will do these things. But there are not just commitments, there are commandments. There are things the vassal, the inferior king needs to do. If he does these things, there will be blessings. And if he doesn't do them, there will be consequences. There will be curses. That's how a suzerain vassal covenant went. But there's a different kind of covenant. It's called the divine grant. And a divine grant is when one king who has the ability to kind of do what he wants to do, unilaterally says, okay, I'm looking for some people to bless and I am going to bless you. And, and there's no, there's commitments that the, the king makes, but there's no commandments. 
There's no consequences. The old covenant, we can see this as, it's kind of a suzerain vassal covenant. God makes promises, and the commandments are the part that we play, and in the there are consequences for obedience and disobedience. The new covenant is a different kind of covenant. It's a divine grant. And what we find here, well, look what it says. I will write my law on your heart. I will be your God, and you will be my child. I will forgive, be helios to your wickedness, and I will remember your sins no more. And what we find there, there's no if you there's only I will. There's no commandments here. There's only commitments on behalf of God, and that's what makes the, the new covenant different. When kings entered into formal covenants with others, they held a banquet. Uh, they find the same thing in our day. A covenant is a formal treaty, and this past week, the um, the country of Finland they um, entered into NATO. They, they became part of NATO, and what they did when they, they kind of had a ceremonial banquet, and um, that's the way these things work. The leaders were decked out in their finest-looking regal clothes, and the Last Supper is a celebration which ushers in the New Covenant. Jesus represents the Father. He represents the all-powerful God, and acting in God's name, this is how he kicks off the covenant banquet and the Last Supper, is what it says. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. It was not Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He begins the new covenant banquet as the representative of God Almighty, and he strips and washes their feet. He takes the form of a servant. The king washing the feet of his subjects, they would never forget this, God washing their feet. This is an image of humility. Humility, the word for humility means down, lower. That's what humility, when you think of humility, you think of down. When you think of pride, you think of up, exalted. Uh, pride leads us to a place ourselves, it pride leads us to place ourselves above others, and humility leads us to place ourselves below them. This is Jesus' attitude as he represents the Father. Washing their feet is an act that represents love and humility, and he washes the feet of all of them, including Judas. The only thing more humiliating than loving is dying on a cross, and we find the same thing there. It says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, 
being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. We think of different things when we think of the cross. Some will suggest we should think of wrath and punishment, but that's not what Philippians indicates. It's really not what the cross is all about. When we think of the cross, we're to think of love and humility. The Most High God, willing to adopt the most low place in order to extend unilateral covenant blessings to his people, in order that he could say, I will put my law in your mind and write it on your heart. So you can be my children and I can be your God and I'll be Helios to your unrighteousnesses and I will remember your sins no more. That's, I will remember your sins no more. And Jesus inaugurated this covenant by stooping and serving. That's what we're to think about when we think of the cross. Not wrath and justice. Love. Humility. The most high God adopting the most, hope, the most low place. This is why Paul was irate sometimes at communion celebrations. Um, here's what he says in 1 Corinthians. It says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God? and humiliate those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. The Lord's, the Lord's Supper was usually, in the, in the early church, was celebrated in a private home. They may, may be able to gather eight to ten around a dining room, and they reclined a table, and then oftentimes they have atriums about the size of our room back there, and another 20 or 30 would stand there. And then what they did, they incorporated a meal. And what was happening is... One of two problems that Paul is reacting to, either people came early to get the best food and slaves, they couldn't get there early, so they missed out. And those who were poor, they couldn't come with anything. So the people that they wanted to, to treat more highly, the ones that had money and they were able to, they really wanted to be favorable to them. They ended up being able to get there earlier. Um, and that's, Eating early without waiting or eating selfishly without sharing, Paul had a real issue thinking about what communion was really about when Jesus inaugurated it. The most powerful, the representative of God Almighty, God himself, when he enters into this covenant, he he stoops and washes their feet, God washing their feet. And that's Paul understood. The Lord's Supper isn't a private act of piety. It's, 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 it's not about receiving individual forgiveness. You know what it is? It's a covenant meal. And it's not private, it's public. And what we're to do when we think about, you know what? He's, you know, what the, the kind of treaty, the covenant he's made with us? He says he's going to put his law in our hearts. 
says he's going to give us the wherewithal to be able to obey him. He says we're going to come to know him. And he, and he says this, he promises we will. And he says he's, we're going to be, he's going to be helios, unresponsive. He's not reactive to our unrighteousness and remember our sins no more. And you know what this is about? This is what we're supposed to think of when we think of communion. Good promises. Um, well, these promises. This is what we're to think of when we think of communion. The commitments God makes to us. And there they are. All I wills. There's no if you there, are there? There's no condition. Do you see any conditions here? There's no conditions. These are promises. And you know what he wants us to do? Believe them. That's why he wants us to celebrate communion. So when we take the juice and the bread, in fact, that's what we're going to do. And go through the doors back there, and you can get the, the, the juice and the bread and come back, and we'll, we'll share it together. But what I want us to think about is what the juice and the bread represents. You know what this is now? You know what communion is? This is a covenant meal in which people who experience and are the beneficiaries of this covenant, we gather together and we say to one another, what a deal is this, huh? And we celebrate it together. So everybody stand and you can go to the back, get the elements, and then come back and sit and then we'll, and then I'll tell us what to do. It says he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. This cup is the new covenant and my blood poured out for you. Take and drink. Others, we think about it. You sent Jesus to make these covenant promises to us. You inaugurated a covenant meal. That's what the Last Supper was. There will be another one when Jesus comes back and we are with you. But this covenant meal was established so that we would know that you make these promises to us. You say that you're going to change us from the inside. You're going to put your law in our mind and write it on our hearts. And that you're going to work in us. You say that we're going to be your people. We're going to know you. I'm glad about that. It says you're going to be, you're not going to condemn us. You're not, you don't remember our sins anymore. There's nothing standing in the way between us and you. And you making these promises and keeping them. Thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen.